Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. To dive in here this morning, um, I've got uh, a lot that is on my heart, so I'm just going to pray that God will lead us what we, uh, where we're going to go. Um, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 13. If you have your Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. But before we get there, um, if you would open up to first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11 um, with me this morning. Um, if you've been with us, we've been on this series, The Lessons from the Kings. We'll probably take this through August. Um, this morning, we come to Lessons 16, 17, and 18. At the end of this series, I'll list out all the lessons that we, uh, we get through as a summary. Um, but this morning, we have a strange title, and we have a very interesting um, chapter in the Bible, A Lion, a Donkey, and a Dead Body. Before we get to that... Um, 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 11, this is Paul to the church, this is the apostle, the pastor, had a deep heart for his people, um, and that their heart would remain true and pure and sincere in their devotion to the Lord, and to awaken the, idea, the, the understanding that there's a battle, and it's constantly pulling to break apart our wholeheartedness right, towards God. And in verse 3 of chapter 11, he says this to the church, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by the, his cunning, that your thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes proclaim, proclaiming another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it um, readily enough. And what is Paul saying here? He is warning his deep desire. He knew what was happening in the church in Corinth, as well as many others, as well as in all churches throughout history. There's this constant battle, right, uh, for the soul, for uh, a lack of wholeheartedness, There's, and, and to move us to a place of compromise. And what he lays out here is a heart, the apostolic heart, the pastoral heart, right, for the church, is church beware, he says. Beware of another gospel. Beware of another Jesus that's being proclaimed. Beware of another spirit that comes upon you, right, that will move you from the Holy Spirit's fruit of the Spirit, God leading you, that these are all possibilities, and this is what happens with compromise. I give you this verse because this couldn't be any more profoundly important for believers in the church in America today. There is another gospel, there's another Jesus being promoted out there today that is not the Jesus that the apostles proclaimed early on. There is another gospel that is being proclaimed out there today that is not the gospel that was proclaimed. And there is another spirit that is moved because of that that gets on people, one of fear, one of legalism. Go down the list, rather than the spirit of God that comes with the fruit of the spirit uh, in the life of the church. And so I give you this as a warning, as the Apostle Paul did, right, to stoke us this morning as we get into this chapter to look deeply this morning at the battle of compromise when it comes to our wholehearted devotion to Christ. Let me just say, this is, there, there is one answer to every problem we have in here today. No matter what you're dealing with in here today, marriage, finances, direction, health, you name it. There's one answer to everything. It is wholehearted, pure 
and sincere devotion to Christ Jesus. And what we sang about is when heaven comes and invades and takes over. There's no distance between our heart, our soul, and heaven, the heart of God. Wholehearted, pure devotion to Jesus. And that is what needs to be restored today in a big way. It is the answer to everything. Is when my heart is fully devoted. When I come under conviction, right? And I come in, as Derek talked about, in weakness, Lord, come. It's that shift that changes everything and brings the flow of God's blessing into every detail in my life. But so we get distracted with so many things rather than the core of what needs to be adjusted, which is, man, is my devotion is pure. Is there a sense of sincerity in my love of Christ? Has he stayed there? Do I have spiritual sensitivity today especially to hear of another Jesus? When something's preached, when I listen to a podcast, when I listen to the... Is that the Jesus of the Bible? And folks, let me tell you, no other time that I've lived do I watch things, hear things. I'm on YouTube watching what's going on out there. At more, no other time do I listen and I say, what Jesus are you reading about? What Bible are you looking at? Because what is being said is nowhere close to the fullness of what Scripture has to say. And when I hear and watch the gospel, the absolute glory of the gospel, and hear other things added to it today, and we know, right, we're experiencing another spirit. Obviously, today, of anxiety and fear, what is the promise of God? He did not give you a spirit of timidity, of fear. He didn't give you a spirit of anxiety. He didn't give you a spirit of depression. It's the power of God to save, which means to heal, deliver, and to radically transform someone from living by the flesh and the world into living full of the Spirit of God. A radical, that we can give testimony. Let me tell you what my Lord has done. And what we hear in the church today is more about this program or that church or that pastor or whatever. What about Jesus Folks, at Crossroads, when we give testimony, it is to Him and Him alone. We rejoice, not in a program, not in a person. We rejoice, Jesus, thank you, Lord, what you have done in my life. All right? So that's just setting a little tone as we get to this crazy chapter in 1 Kings. Um, So, if you'll turn with me to 1 Kings, I'm going to read this whole chapter for us this morning. Um... And then we're going to trust the Lord to give us some incredible insight, especially on this issue of wholehearted devotion to Jesus in the battle of compromise. There's nothing new under the sun. And um, today, God's people again need to wake up to the compromise that's crept into the church, crept into the Christian's life, and has eroded wholehearted devotion, purity, and sincerity when it comes to keeping Jesus, who he is, the Lord, the Savior, the one and only King of the universe, reigning and ruling, and will return to make all things right again, to, to claim his pure bride, ready and willing for him to come back home. All right? So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Lord, speak through me. Um, Lord, your truth, God, may you stir our hearts again in your church. Lord, may there be a passion for your word. May your people again hold on to your word. May they bring it with them again, ready to hear your word, Lord, to be moved by you again in this day, in this time, Father. Speak to us through this passage, Lord. God, may you move, Lord, stir our hearts. 
Holy Spirit, come now. In the name of Jesus, amen. The Word of God, 1 Kings chapter 13. A little history, those of you who are just stepping in, we've been journeying through the kings. And it uh, starts with King David, right? Well, it's King Saul, and then uh, King David, the man after God's own heart. From then on, we've seen decline. We've seen compromise, right? We've never seen the kingdom again led by a, a, a king that is wholehearted, right, towards God. Um, and it's the kingdom split um, between the north and the south. We're moving quickly towards God. Finally, he keeps warning him through his prophets. He keeps bringing, calling him back to wholeheartedness. And, and we're going to see that eventually, right, this cycle continues until the northern kingdom is taken by Assyria. The southern kingdom is taken into exile, into Babylon. Um, and you just see the prophets coming. God's sending his men, right, to bring a word of God, to call his people out of compromise with the world into devotion with him. And if they don't, there's going to be a generational cost. And God will let it go on for years and decades, but there will be a massive cost. There's nothing new under the sun. It's happening today. We're in the midst of it today. Um, and it will happen again. The glory, the hope of all this, is what he's done through his son Jesus. Right? We can break out of this cycle. He's given us the answer. He's given us the one who can restore and change our soul to pull us out, deliver us from this cycle of compromise and change the generations right to come. So with that said, um, the kingdom split. This is the northern kingdom that is soon to be taken away. It's led by Jeroboam. And uh, he um, is not serving the Lord. He has actually set up a false worship now. So compromise has led to a weakened faith, playing with God's word, which leads to false worship. And now he's set up a whole false sense of worship at Bethel. Um, and the king himself is actually setting up his own priests and his own religion, right, to maintain his power in the northern kingdom. And because of that, um, God's getting involved here in a very specific way. So here we go. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah. This is the southern kingdom. God raises up a prophet, sends him up north, right, to get in Jeroboam's face and bring him um, the word of God. And so behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and the human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave this same son, and he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes on it um, shall be poured out. Just a little side note, right down Second Kings chapter 23, is that this prophecy of Josiah is a king that would rise up in the, in the southern kingdom, and he, again, was a picture of Jesus. He was pure-hearted, his entire rule in the southern kingdom. This happened 300 years after this prophecy was given. A clear fulfillment. No other book in all the history of the world has clear fulfillment all through the book, hundreds, thousands of years. When God speaks, it will come true and God allows all kinds of time in between and um, so this is this prophetic word. it doesn't happen for 300 years but God there, um, we're going to see a monument is built up right to get our 
are, are his people awake to realize God's in charge. He's moving things to this glorious end. But will his people wake up and be in tune to the prophetic word of God and listen and address the compromise in their own lives to break out of the cycle of the kings, which is one of compromise with the world, What Jeroboam is deep in, and we see he never returns um, from that compromise. Verse 4. And when the king, king heard the saying of the man of God, and by the way, this is bold. Most people lose their head with this kind of thing. This man of God, that we don't have a name for him, he's a prophet that God raised up, sent him straight to the king of the nation of the northern kingdoms to give this bold, bold word right in his face. And in those, that day and age, you, you lose your head. But look what happens. God is with him in power. And it says, When the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. And the altar also was torn down supernaturally. Boom. And the ashes poured out from the altar. Um, so God's power is with his prophet. Um, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, um, entreat. so now a quick change of heart on the king's part. Whoa, hey, will you entreat, entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And here always, folks, the grace of God. Always the grace of God is available for those who will turn to him. Even evil ones. And what happens here? The king and the um, prophet, what does he do? And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. Now look at the turn of events. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me, refresh yourself, and I'll give you a reward. Now the king wants to harness, the political leader wants to harness religion and the power of God for his own purposes. Not a changed heart, not a repentant heart, but wants to harness the power and religion of God for his own political means. I'll leave that with you. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half of your house, I will not go in with you. A true man of God is never tempted by the, pro- the things of the, word, of the world. Right? He's not moved by those things. He says, true to the calling of God. And I will not eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the Lord God, saying, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water, um, nor return by the way that you came. And so he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now, here we go. Now, an old prophet lived in Bethel. So this is someone who was a genuine prophet, but over time, Bethel was falling, was compromising, the, the religion was falling, and he just kind of, he didn't hear the word of God for a long time. He got absorbed into the culture, right, where it was headed. And his sons came and they told him, most likely his sons were serving at this, as priests at the false altar of Jeroboam. And they came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God would come from Judah and had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And so they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For 
It was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the same way that you came. And the old prophet said to him, I also am a prophet, as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that you may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. It's a false prophecy. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who had come from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which, you, um, which uh, he said to you, Eat no bread, drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it to the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it, and and they saddled the uh, donkey. And he went and he found the body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body from the, of the man of God, laid it on his donkey, brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar at Bethel and against all the houses of the high places, the false worship that are in the cities of Samaria, it It shall surely come to pass. Now after this thing, listen to this. After everything that Jeroboam has seen, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways, but made priests for the high places again from all the people. And and, and he ordained to be priests of the high places, anybody he wanted. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth. The word of God. Right in there, Second Kings 23, because you hear the rest 300 years later, what happens? And that this tomb that this old prophet, his son set up, had standed there, stayed there, and was a monument of the king who came in 300 years later as a testimony of God's word, the truth of his word, um, that he is true and his prophetic word is controlling leading this world in unique and mysterious ways. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you have ever heard that chapter preached? Wow, okay. Amazing. How many? Just two? Two out of this whole group. Maybe three or four have heard this chapter preached. Now, folks, why is that? Why do I ask that question? I say it simply because our Western mind is, this just seems foolish, it seems silly, it seems, you know, it, it, we, we just have all kinds of questions in our Western intellect, how we have changed. Let me just say boldly, again, is God moves in mysterious ways for a reason, 
to confound the wisdom of man, to confound the intellect of man. And we'll get to it here in a minute. And in, in 1 Corinthians, it is that no one comes to God. How God set up, in His wisdom, He set it up that the wisdom of man, the, the collective wisdom of Aspen, Colorado, can lead no one to God. What leads someone to God? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Not the intellect. This gets back to what Derek was talking about. Weakness is I have to realize that my gaining of intellect has more of a way of putting me from moving away from God if I do along with the criticisms of great humility and dependence, right, on God and not my own, right, intellect. All right, so we're going to dive in. We're going to trust the Lord, right, to give us some insight on this, um, on this chapter this morning. Three lessons this morning for us to dive into. First one is this. Again, I give several passages. I'm going to re- re- reference a couple of these. First one is this. And each of these three folks, what I'm doing is I'm just going to take like this is what does the lion represent? What does the donkey represent? Right? And what does the dead body represent? Now, if you're walking along a road, and this is obviously a travel, let's just say the highway, and you come up over a hill and you look down and you've got a lion sitting there next to a donkey, next to a dead body, what are you going to think? I mean, what, what, what's going to go through your mind? Huh? Rapture. Yeah, yeah no, something, in other words, something's going on here supernatural. Something is out of whack. It's going to get your attention, isn't it? Um, all through the Bible, even in Jesus' time, is that God uses unique, strange ways to get people's attention. Part of that is to confound their wisdom. Right? To, to come to a place of dependence, weakness, looking to God, away from myself, to His glory. God is gracious and He is just. Judging and discipl- um, d- disciplining the compromising faith of His children and confounding the wisdom and the power of the world while fulfilling His grand plan of salvation through the words of His prophets. There's a lot in there. That's why I give these to us to kind of, right, take hold of and hopefully journey deeply into. Wow, what must we learn so we don't repeat the same thing that nation after nation after king after king throughout the history of the world have repeated and continue to bear the same consequences? Not only for nations, but for an individual life. As the king's heart goes, so the nation goes, so the people's hearts go outside of something that can break in and break this cycle. As we're going to see, it's going to be the glory of the gospel that does that, right? So a couple things here. Just I want to point out just a couple passages. This, to me, is such an amazing little verse. The prophet Amos, who also was sent by God to Bethel to bring a similar type message um, to another, to a King Jeroboam who lived a little later, But he says this, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Interesting. So if that's the case, and whether it's the Old Testament or whether it's the New Testament, do you realize that's how God works? 
He works through the prayers of his people. He works through the mouthpiece of his people. Before he does anything, great, any great new move or whatever it is, God speaks to his people, to someone, typically someone on the fringe. Not someone who's famous, not somebody who's whatever it is you want to say. Typically a John the Baptist type person. The least likely, the wild man from the wilderness. To come in and to wake people up. People get ready. Something great is getting ready to happen. Yeah. Right? And so, today, it's, and here's what I want to say. Is we are so Western and we got caught up, you know, in, into some wrong thinking about how God works. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's doing the same thing today. The question today is who are his prophets? We know Jesus says in the end, he will, there will be prophets will arise and they will lead many people astray. Well, we just read a story of how that worked back then. It's going to happen in increased measures, right, as we move right throughout history. And so who are the priests today? Who are the prophets today? And again, I'm going to leave it with you. You are. You are. You are clearly said you are a holy priesthood. God has redeemed you. He wants all of his children to operate as priests, which means to worship God vertically and to minister to people horizontally, get people to worship God. Serve people as a priest and see yourself as that, as an intermediary, the person who unites heaven and God with those who don't know God. Priestly work. Who are the prophets? He said as clear as he could. Right? Is the, the prophecy of Pentecost was your sons and daughters will prophesy. Will be voices of encouragement and blessing to the people of God. And then he gives the command, pursue it. At all costs, pursue it. Is that God wants to speak to you for a blessing and light, right? Into each other in the church and even beyond, right? So, next one. Look at this. And this is just kind of... Fulfilling what I just said uh, earlier um, about wisdom today. For where is the one, Paul says this to again, the church in Corinth. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Um, I don't know if it gets any clearer. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the gospel. A, a crucified Savior who rose on the third day um, to those who believe. For the Jews demand a sign. Show us something supernatural. And the Greeks, oh, Aspen, Colorado, who embraces the, uh, the Plato's and the Socrates, they will never lead you to God. This is the truth. They will only build yourself and your pride in who you are. I'm not saying that I read them. I, I, you got to read it. But I'm saying if you look to that for guidance, it will only build yourself and move you away from the living God. This is why God did it this way. To confound the wisdom of the wise. And folks, we just think, we need more wisdom, we need more technology. Uh, you know, we put our hope in that. It has done nothing through the history of the world to increase, right, whatever you want to say here, in, in bringing heaven and earth together, peace on earth. All these things. It's someone who cries out to God. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly 
folly. The idea of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life in Aspen, Colorado. That's folly. It's foolishness. This is not going to get you anywhere. And it's also bigoted and just go down the list of things. Foolishness of the world that thinks that yourself and pride is going to bring any value to it. It's the same cycle of the kings. Are you going to go and just look at history? It's the same cycle again. We just build the self up and what happens is generations compromise the faith and we see judgment come and we see, right, ultimately destruction. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. Is that where you're leaning when you need power, when you need something? He is the power that, to solve any issue you're dealing with. He's the wisdom of God. And what does Proverbs and all through the Bible say is that he, it's about as clear as it can be, right? The beginning of all wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. Not the debate. It's the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of all true wisdom. And the fear of the Lord only comes when I realize my weakness and I realize my unholiness, my desperate need for a Savior before God. Who am I? Who are the intellects of Aspen to stand up and say anything in the face of a holy God? Who gave them their intellect in the first place? They can't even explain where they came from. Where's the humility just to look at life and to realize as I have breath here, where did that come from? Where did my personality come from? Where does the idea of love come from? An eternal thought in an evolutionary framework. Foolishness. It only blinds people and keeps them from the glory of God and what God really wants to do. The glory of Jesus. All right? Lesson number one. And I just, let me just go back and say this. If you're listening here and you're just not sure where you're at with Jesus, I plead with you. I plead with you. Wisdom. You will never get peace in your soul if you have to explain God. Like the Greeks who need wisdom. No debate, no podcast, nothing will lead you to God. If you have to be proven, if you have to have all your questions answered, you will never find God. It's called faith. It's called weakness, it's humility. And then God, it's called seeking Him with all your heart. He will show up. He will show up. And if you're also here and you just say, hey, you know, man, if you just show me some miracles... Man, just show me somebody to get up out of a wheelchair. Just show me, right? Some miracles is, what's the story of Jeroboam? All, here's the story of the kings. What does God have to do on Mount Sinai, splitting the, 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 this Red Sea, or in this case, Jeroboam, his own hand went, he, the prophet prayed again, he was healed immediately. He saw the tomb and it, what is, his, his uh, little altar he set up, destroyed. And he never, in the light of that supernatural, right there in his face, he never repented. Miracles never change a person's heart. If you're sitting around saying, ah, just show me, your heart will only harden to the things of God. Does that make sense? It is true from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Again, this is the cycle. And this is why Paul says it as clear as he can. The Greeks, they just need some understanding. Just explain to them. Just debate with me. Let's prove this out. Let's philosophize on this. You will never, ever experience God in that process. And Paul found this out the hard way when he went to the Agropolis in, in Athens and tried to debate. No church was planted there. No mighty work was done there. 
wasn't until he got to Corinth and he was overwhelmed with the idea after being in Athens where he said, I'm before you, church, with nothing but the gospel. I know nothing before you, not the wisdom of the world, except the glory of who Jesus is. He learned a lesson, right? All right, that's lesson number one. All right, that's lesson number 16, 17. And here's some other verses. So here, be wholehearted in devotion to the Lord. Listen, obey the word of God, for to compromise will eventually usher in a corrupt Christianity, which will bring the discipline and judgment of the Lord, repeating the cycle of the kings. Church in America, church at Crossroads. We need to, Lord, come. Where's the compromise? I need to be wholehearted sincere in my devotion to Jesus? Have I gotten swayed off of that? Where's my heart? Is it wholehearted? That is the question, right? Especially of the hour. And so, um, just a couple things real quick here. Uh, Boy, there's so many lessons we can learn just by looking at each of the characters, right, in this story. Um, The first one is what do we learn from the, the man of God that God sent? What's the most powerful lesson we learned from this man who was given a clear word, a clear, direct word from God? Go to Bethel, right? Say this, but do not eat, do not drink, do not return the same way. What do we learn? <laughs> yeah, right. But the, and, and, the, and this is what I read earlier. It, there's nothing under sun, folks. So I, Paul says, ooh, I'm concerned that just like Eve, what did Eve do in the garden? The enemy comes and says, oh, but did God really say that? Did he, say, did he really say don't eat and drink? I mean, you got to eat. You got to eat something. You're going to die. You're, you're going to... That's how compromise works. And a little compromise can corrupt a heart very quickly. And a corrupt heart will move a whole nation outside the favored hand of God. And, and the same cycle we see here will happen again as it always has, right? Listen when, to God's word. And folks, today, we've, we've obliterated the word of God. We play games with it. This is what it says. It says one man. It says one woman. There is nothing other option. Do not play with the word of God. You will suffer the great hand of God. And Romans 1 says as clear as it could be. And why do you think? Why, do we, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? This is the best. You compromise the word. You give it a little inch to that voice. You compromise. And you know what is going to happen? It's not going to happen as we're seeing in our generation. But what we're seeing right now is the result of what? Two, three generations ago who started compromising the word of God, going soft on it. Because, oh, we can't talk about judgment. Oh, no, no, we can't do that. We've absorbed a whole sense of empathy and cultural therapy that has left people's hearts dead. And now we're reaping the consequences, just like in the book of, of, of Kings, um, because of compromise. And folks, I just said, go, just show me anywhere in history anything different. It's the word of God. He's true to his word. He's true to his prophetic word. He is pleading, calling, loving, gracious to anyone, anywhere in this cycle who will turn to him and stop compromising. And he'll come to them. He'll bless them. And he'll start healing, right? The, the generations. Um, I'll leave it to you to go and get, there's many other lessons of, we can, from Jeroboam, from the false prophet who 
who, who, who stopped, he, he got cynical. Because he wasn't hearing God. He, wasn't, he, was, he got absorbed. He let the culture around him and the false worship around him conform his heart rather than staying true to God wholeheartedly to him. It also shows us that God will speak through anything, even a donkey with Balaam. Right? And why? To confound your wisdom. God can't do that. That, that just doesn't make any sense. The only way I'm open to the voice of God, you're open to God, is, and God, the same thing with Jesus. Why would he spit in somebody's eye? What's that all about? To confound the wisdom of the world. You don't make a formula for healing. You trust God. I mean, we could go on and on all this. The old and the new fits together. And this idea today that we're shoving aside the Old Testament is from the pit of hell. Do not let that modern Christian teaching out there that minimizes the Old Testament creep into your life. It will compromise and the generations after will suffer. Bottom line, right? So um, I'll leave the the rest of those lessons um, here it is, folks. Couldn't be any clearer, could it? The great commandment. What is this? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your entire being. And the second is like it. To, um, is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Now listen to this. We, we very rarely point out the bottom part of this. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. The great commandment, uh, the, every bit of the law, every bit of God's wisdom and the process, it depends upon God's people being wholehearted in devotion to Him. The law behind it, it makes no sense. It's useless unless it's embraced wholehearted. The prophets, everything that God has to say through His Word, it makes no sense. It's not going to work without a wholehearted embrace. To make sure he's king, reigning on my heart, right? And, uh, and obviously that comes from Deuteronomy 6, which was given to the, to the Israelites. And Jesus just brought complete fulfillment to it, right? Last lesson, lesson 18. The cycle of the kings from wholehearted devotion to compromise will not end until Jesus returns. Do you know that? No amount of effort is going to change this until Jesus returns. No amount of social justice, I'm sorry young folks, no amount of politicizing, voting, legislating work is going to change this cycle of compromise in this fallen world. There's only one ultimate solution, right? Don't get me wrong, we need to be involved. We need to do all those things as good stewards. But we have to understand, nothing is going to change this world until Jesus, the Lord of the world, returns. But until then, here's the important part, God has made provision through the gospel of Jesus for people of all nations to break the cycle of the kings in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live as agents of renewal and hope in the world. Though the cycle is going to continue is God has done something new and profound in sending Jesus and the glory of the gospel right, to awaken, to bring heaven to the heart right, so that we can live wholehearted in this life now. Free from this cycle. Live wholehearted when this cycle, we see it going on in America right now for sure, right? But any nation is that God's people should rise up, be, be hopeful. We're to be agents of hope, calling people to the love of God, to the transforming, gracious God who will come and redeem and change, radically transform their life and break them out of this cycle of the world. 
that's headed towards a clash when Jesus comes and brings complete judgment and makes things all right again, uniting all things in heaven and on earth. Does that make sense, gang? This is some big stuff. But until we lay hold of it, and again, as I always say is, you take the word of God. Don't take my word for it. You take the word of God. You pre- and if you can see that anything is different, please let me know. If you find any different in the word of God, whether it's the Old or New Testament, any of these verses, what God has done through his prophets, throughout history, throughout time, for his glory, we've got to embrace this, right? And so just, um, Derek, y'all come on up. Um, is, uh, I just want to end on this. Folks, this is the prayer of Paul for the church. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So you can be wholehearted, so we can be wholehearted, right, for God. That should be a regular prayer of ours and seeking out, Lord, give me a spirit. Holy Spirit, come, bring wisdom. The wisdom of God is what we need, not the wisdom of man. I'm not saying we, don't, we, we remove ourselves from Plato and Socrates. No, we need to bring the wisdom of God into that arena, right? And I need to make sure it's the wisdom of God that's informing you, not the wisdom of the world. Because there's nothing more important than that. Is understand to hold the wisdom of God. It transcends any wisdom you'll ever learn. Any science. Because God's the one who created science. Right? And a wisdom of revelation. What does that mean? Lord, a spirit of revelation. That I would be a vessel that, that, that understands what God, what you're doing. Your ways. Right? Your ways. And so, I hope you take this. The line represents the ways of God. And sometimes it's a line. Right? As C.S. Lewis said, oh... He's dangerous, but he's good. He's gracious. He's loving. Because he's loving and just together. Got to have those. And the donkey represents, guess what, our response to God's ways. How are we going to respond to God's ways? His prophetic voice. Do we have a spirit of revelation to understand it? And the dead body. That dead body was brought as a, a monument 300 years later a Josiah, a Savior, was risen up who came and restored that altar, holiness to that altar. The Word of God and what He's done. He's not leaving your body dead. That's the hope of the world. As Jesus rose from the dead, so we stand here with the incredible hope to live as Christ, to die as gain. He's defeated the power of death for you. Because he wants you forever with him in a united heaven and earth. God's doing all this. But man, in this crazy time, Lord, what we need more than anything is, Lord, please give us your wisdom. Anybody need wisdom today? Yeah. And revelation, show me, God, your ways, right? So Holy Spirit, move in this place, God. Um, Lord, let's wrestle with your word, Lord, and... Let's just stir our hearts again to be hungry for your word, hungry for your ways. Restore wholeheartedness, Lord, to you. Reveal the compromise. Remove it, God. May we walk with you in your goodness. Lord, how you love us, your grace, your mercy, your patience with us. 
Lord, may we rise up as a wholehearted people, church, to see the generations changed, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.